One after another, the men and women walk down the pool stairs to be baptized. The pastor shortly prays and then baptizes them, gently pushing them back under the water. Each believer emerges to the sound of loud applause and a warm embrace as they step out of the pool. With all 16 baptisms finished, the group erupts in worship. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The song is familiar to Christians around the world, but in Syria, the words take on new meaning. In this Middle Eastern country, their decision to follow Jesus comes with great costs. If or when their conversion is discovered, these new believers could lose their family, friends, their job, even their life. Following Jesus will turn their lives upside down. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. Believers in Syria know that becoming a Christian means leaving their old life, their old world, and their old religion behind them. So reads an excerpt from a 2019 article from Open Doors USA entitled, For 16 Syrian Believers, Baptism is a Radical Choice. These believers have chosen to publicly identify themselves with Jesus Christ, and for that... They risk life itself. Over the past few weeks, we've been walking through a series of studies on the local church. So if you remember the first Sunday in September, we started with this sort of big picture, 30,000 foot view of the purpose of the church. And we said that the, the church itself is really the goal of history. Why? Because the design of our world and the design of our reality from our creator is one that populates and plentifies the world with the glory of God through his image, right? Be fruitful and multiply. However, in sin, that image has been corrupted, distorted, bent in to kind of fit our image. And and so as the church now, we are recommissioned to preach far and near about the mercy of the gospel by which you can be conformed into the image of Christ, And so the proclamation of the gospel is actually repopulating the world with the image of God, bringing it back to its original design, the glory of God in all nations. So that was the first Sunday. Then we took three Sundays in September to think about the three distinct roles within the local church, the role of the congregation, the role of the elder, and the role of the deacon. We quoted one author who helpfully summarized it for us by saying elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate ministry, and the congregation does ministry. And so that brings us to this morning. Today, as I said before, we're going to kind of turn away from the the roles of the church to the ordinances of the church. The ordinances given by King Jesus, who has ordained us to portray the gospel and our faith in him through baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the sign of the new covenant in Jesus' blood, a sign of our union with Christ. And then the Lord's Supper, which we'll look at, Lord willing, next week, is a renewal of that covenant. An ordinance that is meant to be repeatedly observed until we meet Jesus face to face and and fellowship and commune with him at his table. 
So Jesus has given us, first of all, the ordinance of baptism. Think of Matthew chapter 28, the famous great commission to his disciples where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is a command from our Savior to participate in the sign of his new covenant, this covenant of grace in which our hearts completely changed from the inside out, made alive again through his death and resurrection. So baptism is the topic, the theme for us in our study this morning. And shocker, I want to give you three points, three statements about baptism, okay? Baptism is a sign Baptism is a statement, and baptism is a celebration. It's a sign, it's a statement, and it's a celebration. I know that last one's a C, throwing you off. So first, baptism is a sign. So I think we can understand the idea of a sign here to be an outward indication, visible indication of an inward reality. So back in the Old Testament, you regularly see the sign of circumcision, an outward identity marker, right? where someone who was circumcised belonged to God's people, to Israel. Outward sign. But now in the new covenant, in which we wonderfully live, Jesus has brought it to us, and it has come with a new sign, a sign called baptism. Remember, the old covenant could not ultimately save God's people. The sacrificial system could atone for sin temporarily, not completely. But when Jesus came as the perfect high priest, laying down his life as the perfect sacrifice, he inaugurated a new and better covenant, a covenant in which God's law is is now written on our hearts and in which our hearts have been transformed from stone to flesh, made alive, made responsive to God. Baptism signifies that we are in that covenant We've trusted Jesus alone, and now we belong completely to him. So how? I mean, how is being dunked underwater a sign of that reality? I mean, it's something you did to your friends at the pool growing up, right? Hoping they'd get a a nose full of water, because that's funny. What, What in the world does a dunking have to do with new covenant? Well, one way, and I think this is probably the first thing that comes to your mind, because baptism is literally like a bath. I think the first thing that comes to your mind is that salvation uh, pictured in baptism is this idea of washing, cleansing. So, in the Heidelberg Catechism, we read that Christ instituted this outward washing, and with it promised that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and his spirit wash away my soul's impurity, that is, all my sin. Praise God. Every time we celebrate a baptism here in this church, we sing, there is a fountain. Sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Baptism signifies washing. It signifies cleansing, purifying. But there's more. I think we can go deeper. I think ultimately baptism is a sign of death and resurrection. Baptism portrays our union with Jesus in his death and resurrection. So, Don't take my word for it. Let's see what the Bible says. If you have your Bible, click or turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 
kind of an enigmatic passage, but we're going to kind of get beyond the whole proclaiming the gospel to the spirits in prison, and we're going to get a little bit beyond that to verse 21. Peter has brought up the story of Noah from the book of Genesis. Noah, you'll remember, built an ark to save him and his family from the flood of God's judgment on the whole world. And in this context of Noah, Peter says, look there in verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, corresponds to what? Deliverance through water. Baptism that corresponds to this now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism, says the Apostle Peter, corresponds to what Noah experienced when he was delivered in the ark through the judgment waters of the flood. So just as Noah was delivered through the waters of God's judgment by faith in God, so we as Christians have been delivered through the judgment waters of God by faith in Christ. We have been delivered not by union with an ark, not by being hidden in an ark of wood, but by being hidden in Jesus himself, a Savior who has taken us through the judgment waters by joining us to him. In our baptism, we are joined to Jesus' death under God's judgment. We are dipped into the waters of God's judgment and then brought back up into new life, breathing in the air of new life again. Think about it. Baptism visualizes that we, as believers and followers in Christ, have been led through judgment, dying to our sin, and being made alive in Christ. Peter says that that deliverance through water, which baptism pictures, saves us. He's not saying baptism saves you in and of itself. He's saying the reality baptism represents saves us. Jesus saves us. The theologian Wayne Grudem puts it this way. He says, as Noah fled into the ark, so we flee into Christ. And in him, we escape judgment. This isn't the only time we see this picture in the New Testament. So in your Bibles, flip over to what Aaron read for us earlier in Romans chapter 6. Romans right after the book of Acts. Romans chapter 6. Paul writes, beginning in verse 4, We were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death. We're buried. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The way we are saved is by union with Christ. In his death to sin, we die to sin. In his resurrection to new life, we are raised to new life. And baptism is a picture of this wonderful death-to-life deliverance. Paul reiterates it in Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, when he says, We have been buried with Christ in baptism, in which we are also raised with him through faith. So church, do you see just kind of this wonderful, transformative truth that baptism is meant to communicate? It doesn't do anything in and of itself. But it pictures the most amazing transformation we ever experience. Transformation from spiritual death 
to spiritual life through judgment. Judgment taken not by us, but by the one we are joined to, our Savior. As we are joined to him by faith, we die with him. And then we're raised forevermore with him. Christian, you've already had your funeral. Your old self has been crucified with Christ. In the deepest sense, the spiritual sense, you'll never die again. You have been made alive together with Christ. You live in him. Baptism pictures that. Tim Chester, the, the British pastor and author, he puts it like this. He says, becoming a Christian is more than a change of opinions or priorities. Our old self dies and a new self is born. So baptism is like a funeral. As the water covers us, our old self is symbolically buried with Jesus. And then because we are united with Christ by faith, his crucifixion is our death and his resurrection is our new life. Doesn't that fill baptism with even more meaning? It's not merely a ritual. It's a technicolor picture of what has happened in our hearts. This positional change from enemy of God to son, daughter of God. Again, baptism doesn't execute that change. God does. But baptism is, baptism is a way, kind, kind way that Jesus has given us to kind of put flesh on what's happened inside. It shows we're joined to Christ. In him we've died. In him we've been raised. Nothing will ever be the same again. Friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, we, like you, notice how messed up this world is. Evil, abuse, tragedy, and sorrow fill the news, fill the lives of those we come into contact with, and for many of us are present in our own lives as well. We experience these things for ourselves throughout our lives. And sure, there are really good, common grace things the Lord gives us to rejoice in, just as, as people, as human beings. But when bad things happen, how can we account for the corruption and the brokenness we see, both in our broader communities and then even harder to see or, or more resistant to see in our own hearts? Well, the Bible makes tons of sense of this. It reveals how God has created us for his glory. But ever since Adam decided to reject God, we all have made a decision for, to live for ourselves, not the glory of our creator. The Bible calls this rebellion sin, and it, and it says that since God is good, he must judge that sin. But when we were destined for the waters of judgment, God sent his son. And on the cross, Jesus, who had never sinned, took on himself the judgment of God for your sin and mine if we would trust in him. Jesus took the waters of judgment so we might drink living water forevermore, free of cost. So friend, trust in Jesus and escape God's judgment. Get on the ark, get in Christ, and be led through the waters of judgment to new life. God has made a way for you to become his child. If you have questions about that, you can talk to me afterwards or people you've seen up here, Jack, who led a prayer up here before. We'd love to talk with you more about how you can know God like that. 
And church baptism is a response to the work God has already done in our hearts. I mean, just do a, a search for the word baptism or baptize in the book of Acts, and you'll see that it's constantly this, this refrain of people hearing the teaching of the gospel, believing it, and then being baptized as a response. Baptism doesn't save you, but it is a Jesus-ordained way for you to respond to your salvation. In our baptism, we say, along with Paul in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Baptism is a sign. Second, baptism is a statement. Baptism is a statement, a testimony to the fact that we have been changed by the work of God in our hearts, right? And again, an analogy might be helpful. This isn't original to me. Some have compared baptism, you, you might have heard this before, to a wedding ring, right? Here's how one author puts it. He says, a wedding ring doesn't make you married, but it does say you're married. It reflects the marriage you have. And so baptism, in like manner, is a public sign people can see that you perform not to save yourself, but to identify yourself as married to Christ, hidden in Christ, united to Christ. Baptism is a public statement of your marriage to Christ. That's a reason many have put it off or avoided it. I did that for years. They're intimidated by the idea of getting up in front of people, sharing their testimony, and then, worst of all, getting wet. But baptism needs to be, in, in, to some extent, public for a reason. Because it's a testimony. It declares that we are with Christ. It's our new identity. And as I started off with the Syrian believers, that sort of public testimony for some won't lead to just mere embarrassment or stage fright, but death itself. For every Christian, baptism is a public way to say, I'm with Jesus. My identity is in him. And so then it makes sense that baptism is a one-and-done thing. It's a one-and-done sign. Baptism is not something you're to do over and over again as you find yourself wanting to recommit your life to Christ. So if you have a particular mountaintop experience and you're on fire for Jesus, praise him. That's wonderful. But you don't get baptized again. That would misunderstand what baptism is meant to represent. Baptism is a sign of entry into the new covenant. Entry into Christ. This is death to life reality that's being pictured. And that death to life transition only happens once. You don't seesaw back and forth between being in Christ and out of Christ. You are in Christ or out of Christ, right? But that only happens once. We are dead in our sin once, and then we are made alive once in Christ. Now, that's not to say, that's not to diminish the importance of kind of a season of recommitment to Christ. There will be times, by God's grace, that the Holy Spirit will work in your heart in such a way that you desire to just refresh your faith, rejuvenate your love for Christ, recommit yourself afresh to him. And that's wonderful. We should pray for those things. It's just that baptism isn't the thing to do when that happens. 
In fact, if you want to recommit your life afresh to Christ, Jesus has given you another ordinance for that. An ordinance that is meant to be repeated. The Lord's Supper. The renewal of the covenant. Lord willing, we'll consider that next week. But baptism is a one-and-done sign. You're baptized into Christ. End of story. You publicly acknowledge that he has saved you and your identity is now hidden in him. So perhaps you're, you're here as a Christian, but you've never taken this step. And perhaps it's because you haven't really understood it. Or because you're nervous and you don't like the idea of getting up in front of people. Or, or because you're, you struggle to believe if you've actually been converted. If you're actually a Christian. Friend, if that's you, come talk to us. We'd love to help you think about baptism and what it means for you in your walk with Jesus. Usually I take this short little book by Tim Chester, who I quoted uh, earlier. It's a short, tiny little book with three chapters, and we go through it in three meetings and, and think about what baptism would mean for you, where you are with Christ. But it's an important, essential thing for you to consider as part of your discipleship in the Lord. If you're a child here today, see any of them, but, you know, they can be hidden. Uh, I see Judah back there, but I don't know if he's listening to me. Uh, if, you're, if you're a child here today, you might wonder when you should get baptized. And, and that's a good question. By all means, talk to your parents. Talk to, to me. We'd love to help you think about your faith in Jesus and how baptism will help you demonstrate that faith. Parents, I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm working through this uh, beginning to work through this as well. Parents, you're going to have questions about when you should baptize or encourage your, your kid to be baptized. That's something we should discuss, elders and, and parents together, and pray about it. Typically, because our kids generally want to please us and want to follow what we think they should do, and, and they're going to be growing in their understanding of what baptism even means, typically the process of baptism for a young child will take a bit more time and discussion as we speak to them about the significance of the step. But what a privilege to guide our kids to the cross in this way. Because baptism is a statement. Finally, baptism is a celebration. And, and what I mean by that, what I, what I want us to think about when I say that, is, is that baptism is not just an individual thing. It is not merely something we do on our own. Usually, baptism should take place in a local church. Why? Well, as we've repeatedly said through this series, the, the global church is displayed and brought down into our lives through local manifestations of that global reality called local churches. And so baptism, which pictures our union with Christ, will also picture our union with his body, the church. Baptism, as one author puts it, is a sign we have a new family. And so it's a celebration of your own individual faith, of course. But it's also a celebration for all those brothers and sisters in Christ who are welcoming you into their family. So turn with you, me in your Bibles, a uh, little past Romans 6 to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12, Paul again writing to this time to the church in Corinth. And he, he says, starting there in verse 12, 
For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Baptism is entry into a family. It's not just a private statement. It shows we are brought into the body of Christ. It's a sign that we have been united with Jesus, the head, and Jesus' body. I love that how in, in Acts chapter 2, as the early church is getting off the ground, uh, Luke, the historian, is writing about Peter's sermon and how many have responded in faith. And then he says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. You see, baptism was the entry into the community, into the church, into the fledgling, sapling church that was beginning to form in Jerusalem. And so it is with us. We do not baptize someone into nothing. We baptize them into a new community. We baptize them into Christ and his body. Baptism is a sign of entry into the church. We're baptized into a larger identity as we're joined to a larger family. So church, when we see someone who has trusted Jesus take the step of baptism here at Loudoun Valley Baptist Church, that step of baptism normally means they're also joining with us in fellowship in this church. And we celebrate that together. Every time we see a baptism, we see someone publicly state that they belong to Jesus. And we again remember our death to sin in Christ through those waters of judgment. And in our resurrection, our being bringing up, brought up into new life, breathing the new fresh oxygen of union with Christ. And so in a baptism, we are not mere spectators. We are brothers and sisters cheering on someone who's joining the family. What a gift baptism is to the church. May we pray for more baptisms to celebrate in this church. So, baptism is a sign, a statement, and a celebration. And so I wonder, Christian, baptized Christian, do you live in light of your baptism? Maybe you can, you can recall the room, the pastor who baptized you, the people who were there, how you felt, maybe some words you shared. We were all baptized in different scenarios, different stages. I've been there for some of your baptisms. I baptized at least one of you, which was a joy. But I wonder, Christian, do you live in light of your baptism? When you're struggling in your faith, when doubts and fears and temptations are pummeling you, do you ever go back to your baptism to remember that you've made a pro public proclamation you're with Jesus? Christian, your baptism will help establish you, ground you, root you in the face of ongoing trials and temptations. Later on in, in the Romans 6 passage, Paul is talking ab about our 
death to sin. And he says, for the death Christ died, he died to sin once for all. Remember, that's shown in the, the, the laying down into the, the waters of baptism. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Great. So what? So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Baptism reminds you of that reality. Sure, sin will still tug at your heart. Sure, you have not escaped its presence yet, but in Christ, the reality pictured in your baptism shows you've been liberated from both sin's penalty and sin's power, even if not yet sin's presence. And that gives you a lot of courage and a lot of grounding when sin looks so attractive. That gives you the ability to rejoice. Go back to your baptism, Christian, often. Remember who you are. Remember that your spiritual life is a life of Christ, that you have died to sin and you live to him. Syrian Christians who claim Christ and are baptized in him risk more than we could ever imagine. But like them, we too have died to our sin and been raised to life. Like them, as the article said, becoming a Christian means leaving our old life, our old world, and our old religion behind. So is that what you're doing? Are you living out what your baptism has proclaimed is true about you? Is your faith a closet faith, a secret thing that you pull out on Sunday mornings, dust off? Or do you live out publicly for the one who died for you? Let's pray.